Hey guys, this is author and speaker Mo Isom Aiken, and you are listening to The Shadows Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. This is a continuation of Mo Isom Aiken. This is part two of an incredible, raw, transparent, just very impactful episode that I recorded with her. I'll be very open and honest with you. This is one of my favorite episodes that I have ever recorded. Hopefully you really enjoyed part one. If you're checking out part two and you have not checked out part one, I encourage you to do so. So it helps connect the dots with what she's talking about here on this second part. But before we get into this episode, I just want to let all of our listeners know if you like what you're listening to, head over to your favorite podcast platform or shadowspodcast.com and leave us a review let us know what you're thinking and also this helps us spread the word uh, as to what we're doing here with the shadows now we have a self-reflection question for everyone this week what does spiritual resilience look like to you what does spiritual resilience look like to you so that's something that i want y'all to ask yourselves Uh, If you want, you can do, we had some people last week send me a message uh, telling me what they felt based off the self-reflection question. It's something that we'll continue to do throughout all these Shadows episodes. And also, something else we're going to continue to do is roll along with this incredible month of January. We have Chancellor Jackson coming your way next week. It'll be Monday and Thursday of next week, along with the YouTube video on Friday. But Chancellor Jackson, 14 days in a Beijing prison very interesting story Uh, so you definitely want to hear all about that next week and folks i hope you enjoy what we're doing i hope you like these two-part series we're trying to make it more a little bit easier for our listeners to kind of break it up into two parts Uh, but if you like what we're doing like i said check us out give us a review follow us on any of our social media platforms we're gonna go ahead without further ado and kick off part two of the shadows podcast here promiscuous when he took me through healing of my sexual sin pages i had to write out pages of names i'm talking a reputation that preceded me trauma suicidal ideations daughter of a suicidal man struggled with eating disorder perfectionist control all of these things that want to speak a louder word over my story that for anyone listening All of the things of your past want to speak a louder word over your story. But I, in a moment of mercy, encountered the one who spoke a better word. And it took one word to drown out all of that noise. He said, follow me. I call you redeemed. You're mine. And I was like, I'll follow you every day for the rest of my life. I'll never look back. (laughs) I'll never look back. And I... I had to heal. I had to physically withdraw from school. Sorry, you asked about football, (laughs) but it all builds. Uh, I had to physically withdraw for the rest of that semester, heal. My body needed to heal. By the grace of God, I was able to go back um, the next year, walk through some physical recovery, some mental stuff, because I'd had some like residual stuff from some bruising on my brain. And um, the Lord was faithful, was able to play my junior season And then as I was going into my senior season, I realized that NCAA athletes 
actually get five years of eligibility, but only four in one sport. So it's like a clock kind of, um, Mm. and you have five years to fulfill your eligibility, but you can't play five seasons. It's like this help year almost say you have to redshirt. You Minus know, the six, whole COVID thing where they, they granted that. They have six, seven, eight, nine years. Now, now you got guys who've been there since 1993, but yeah. Yeah. 64 yeah. year olds who are like, yeah. I play my eligibility still because of COVID. Um, but it, it, for some reason at that season, I realized, oh, I have a whole fifth year. I can apply it to soccer. I'm going into my senior soccer season and I had never had to redshirt or sit out in a season. Mm-hmm. And I'm like realizing I have this fifth year, actually, I don't feel like I'm done here yet. Like what, why, why is this coming to my mind? Right. At the same time, I had always trained with uh, the weight room facility and the indoor facility at LSU, the football team trained in is also where soccer would train for years and years and years. I loved the weight room, loved to train, would always be in there doing extra, would always be in there on my own. And in those times too, would mess around a lot with my friends who are on the team, the football team, just kicking field goals, punting. There's yeah. a Mo versus video. If you look up M-E-A-U-X versus, it was like this fun promo series that we did where I, Mo, would take on athletes from other sports. You can type in like Mo versus Brad Wing and you'll see me. I punted like a 70 yard punt or something like that in the video with Brad, or it was a kickoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'd always just be messing around, just having fun. And um. I remember one day being in my apartment and I was literally just in the shower, like just getting ready for the day. And suddenly it just surged back to my mind. You have the fifth year of eligibility um, and you were recruited for your leg. You have power, you can kick. And I I want you to pursue it. And I was like, washing my hair, like pursue what? (laughs) And I just really, I continued to feel like the Lord was like, I'm not going to tell you what the outcome is going to be, but do you have the faith to once again, stretch yourself? Remember that goalkeeper coach when I was 11, 12, stretch yourself beyond what the norm is and see what's possible. Will you like walk in the journey, even if you don't know if it's going to be a yes or a no in the end? And I'm like, uh, I got out. I called first, um, I, this is actually what I said back, back in prayer. I was like, sure, sure. I'll pursue it. And then the minute there's a closed door, when someone says no, um, it'll make it obvious. That's where I'm going to stop. Okay. Okay. So I call some of the kickers, my friend, I got this crazy idea. What if like, cause actually the situation at that time was there were just like two or three specialist. And one of them was about to graduate. Maybe two mm-hmm. of them were about to graduate. And so there was actually also a need for specialists. Now, granted, the coaches are out recruiting. You're going to have walk-ons and whatnot, but it wasn't like there were 30 specialists and I'm randomly saying, I want to do it too. So I call up, I'm like, I have this wild thought. What would you think if, and of course, the first thing that came to my mind was I'm a, I'm a woman. People are going to think uh, this is some female PR type yeah, thing. PR. Yeah. And so I even like framed that with the guys. I was like, do you think this is like, and they were like, are you kidding me? We've seen you kick. We've trained together. Go for it. Yeah. And I was like, 
oh, okay. They're like, we know it's not because you're a woman. We've seen you. You earned your stripes. You put in your time. We've watched you for four years. Like I had, um, I guess I would just say street cred, like yeah. the players with the coaches. So I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the weightlifting coach next. That'll be my le- next level. Yeah. of life. <laughs> Working up the chain of command there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just like, I got to work my way up the chain of command. I go to the weightlifting coaches, Coach Moffitt. I have this thought. I have a fifth year of eligibility. It falls in the fall, like when that semester, what do you think? And he's like, go for it. (laughs) Oh, are you sure? Like, so I just started working my way up. Where's Um, Coach Miles? Right. (laughs) Working my way up the chain of command. And it was at the phase where everyone else had been like, I don't see why not. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because when things did hit the media, it's always the people on the outside that don't have the inner vantage point that are like, wow, ah, this is all because she's a girl. Da, 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 this is PR. No what one gets clicks. Yeah. yeah. No one in-house was like questioning the motives. They were like, if you could, if you can outkick like who we've got, we need the, the leg. So I remember one day I was just working out and coach miles comes into the weight room and gets up on the elliptical right next to me. And my heart is about to explode out of my chest. I'm like, Lord, I couldn't have even found the end to schedule a meeting with him. He was a very busy man. And yet somehow I'm just sitting here at like 10 AM on a Tuesday between classes on the elliptical and he's on the next elliptical. And I'm like, Hey coach. (laughs) And I remember just saying, Hey, I, I want to talk to you about something. He was all ears. I told him, what my thoughts were. And I don't remember the fullness of every detail of our conversation, but he brought up his daughter. He has a daughter who's an incredible competitive. Mm. And, and he also said like, but if you actually want to do this, if you want to try this, it was almost exactly like coach Hugh Brown, that goalkeeper coach. He was like, don't think there's going to be any corners cut or exceptions because you're a female. You're going to have to train and you're going to have to try out just like all the guys do. And if you have a better leg, if you can outkick our starting kicker, we need the leg. I'm like, what is happening, Lord? I thought you would instantly close the door and I wouldn't have to give my mom a heart attack that I could possibly get flattened like a pancake by a 350 pound (sighs) SEC lineman. So uh, I just started training and I was still um, training. I I still had my senior soccer season. So I was like doubling up. I do all my soccer training, competition, practice, weightlifting. And then I get in the in the indoor facility and kick footballs and practice and train. Um, and I remember I stayed that summer break voluntarily to train with the football team the whole summer break. Let me be so clear. Summer break training with the football team is not fun. It's like oh, yeah. even 50 up downs in 140 degree Louisiana heat and your cleats are melting on the turf field. <laughs> it just wasn't glamorous, but I just, I was like, you know what? Lord, you've done too much. Anything is possible. And I don't know if it's going to be a yes or a no in the end, but there's some joy to be found in the journey. And it was really beautiful because that whole journey taught me more than I could unpack on the podcast. But I I hit a 53-yard field goal, no pads, but I could hit a 53-yard field goal. I didn't know of any other females that were hitting 53 yard field goals. I didn't know of a ton of other college kickers that were always hitting 53 yard field goals, male as well. Like 
It, My program it, doesn't have a 53-yard field goal kicker, but it was a really cool journey. And it taught me so much too, because what did happen was one day the media did catch wind. I'd already been training with them for like seven or eight months at that point. But finally the media caught wind and that's when it blew up and the Ellen show called all this stuff. And suddenly it was this different beast because it wasn't the purity of like, it felt like the purity of what the intention was. Everyone had an opinion on, you have to deal with blogs and fan websites, mm-hmm. and this and that. So it kind of grew it and changed it into this different beast, but we just kept, kept going. It's almost um, like a test though, in a way. It's a test. Yeah. And, and um, I remember in the end, finally, my final tryout, which would have finished my soccer season, amazing senior year. That was all incredible and started up a semester at grad school while I was still training. I think I ended up training 20 or 22 months on the back end on the football front. And then the tryout finally came the final tryout. Uh, At that point, there were like eight specialists. So there were walk-ons and uh, transfers and other guys trying out. So it was a little different roster environment than when I had started the journey. Um, but I, uh, I tried out, I, I did my best. Um, ultimately uh, the answer to fully officially making the roster was a no because I couldn't kick out, kick Drew Alamar, who was the starting kicker and an amazing kicker. He had an incredible leg. And that stung and hurt and sucked. (laughs) You trained 22 months. I mean, giving everything you have. And the answer was a no. And I remember being really sad for a little bit. And then the Lord was like, do you remember? I didn't tell you what the outcome was going to be. Trust me with the journey. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember you saying that. It was never guaranteed. But if I had known in the end that it, was a no, would I have grown in all the ways I grew? Would I have trained in all the ways I trained? Would I have like trusted in all the ways I trusted? Right? No, I wouldn't have. I would have been like, bump that. I'm tired. (laughs) But it was really cool because I just feel like the greatest lesson I learned through all of that too was no, isn't a word of dismissal. It's a word of direction. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we take the no's that we get and we carry such a rejection or a dejection or a I'm a failure. I didn't da, 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 da. We don't have to carry the nose in our life like that. Mm-hmm. The word of God says that he uses all for his glory. In that time that I was even training with football, even when it felt like, come on, the media caught wind of it. Do you know it opened ears and eyes to my actual story of overcoming in my testimony and the shadows that had been and that I was walking in victory. Exactly. I started getting requests from people, please come speak to our our young soccer players. Please come speak to our small group. Please can you come just share? It opened up the doors for all that I walk in now that had nothing to do with sport at the end of the day. It's a spiritual resiliency it shine light on. Yes, it had to do with hey, you every single one of us, even the person listening right now, you have lived some life. You have a story. And if you have walked in victory, if you have known any degree of healing, if you are still standing, if you have come to know the one who sustains you, then there's a story to be told. And we're not to be ashamed of our weaknesses. We're to boast in the glory and the strength of God, in the glory and the strength of his sustaining love. And so 
I think there's the initial grief when we get a no, and that's valid, especially when we put a lot of time or energy or work in. But if we allow that to sit and fester and become something it's not, and we think, oh, I'm never going to try something wild again. I'm never going to take a leap of faith again. I'm never going to do that thing again because I got the no. We're like a victim mentality puppy with our tail. got to be a victor mentality. We have to have a victor mentality. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, it's a no. Next opportunity. No. What's next? What's next? Yeah. And I think if we allow that resiliency to be trained in us, Yes, my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. I stand with life and life abundant. And I can speak now with authority and with power and with grace to anyone who has navigated suicide or loss. Thank you. That's a key to something that now can continue to have victory for others as well. Yes, I I had a past of promiscuity and, and sexual deviance and addiction to pornography and all of these things. Oh, you set me free from all of it. You healed me. Now I write a book that sold tens and tens of thousands of copies and yeah. the New York Times bestselling author. So the number of people I hear back from that are like, I didn't know any other women dealt with pornography. I didn't know that any, can we talk about this? Can we, it's like, that's worth it all. Yeah. Every challenge, every shadow, the spirit of the living God wants to shine light into it and darkness cannot overcome the light. And so when the light is shined in those shadowy places, you, you gain a testimony out of it. You, you find a story to be told that was hidden in secrecy. It's like, it takes the chains off your lips and you're able to speak speak and to share and to know victory. And the word of God says the power of life and death lies in the tongue. And when our tongue is bound because of fear or shame or shadows or disgrace or a no or a rejection or whatever it may be, all it knows is death to our bones. But if we will allow our mouths to open, to confess, to profess, to testify, we find life. The power of life lies in bringing what's in the darkness into light and sharing what's in the shadows. And, and the thing is it can happen in really small places. Sometimes that looks like a spouse admitting something to another spouse and asking forgiveness and then processing. Sometimes that looks like a friend calling a friend and forgiving them, even when they haven't asked for forgiveness. Sometimes that looks like a parent and a child. Sometimes it looks like you're on this huge national stage and you get opportunities that you never could have fashion, like Ellen show, whatever it may be. But sometimes it just looks like one person on their knees in their own bedroom, laying themselves humble and vulnerable to say, please pull up these roots because I know I'm meant to walk in greater strength. I am an overcomer. I'm meant to be an overcomer in Christ and I can't do it in my own strength. And so I just think in all of our lives, greatness looks different. Sometimes it looks like honoring and yielding and being a a stay-at-home mom, washing dishes and changing diapers so you can champion forward what your husband is doing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a husband saying, I'm going to step back this season because you, babe, have something on your life that you need to pursue. It's like it can take so many different forms. Yeah. And if we're faithful with opening and sharing and letting those shadows be lit up in the small ways, we'll understand the bigger and bigger and bigger ways that 
that can take place through the rest of our life. Right. Um, such a long answer. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to do a lot of podcast editing. <laughs> no, no, this is all good. I've, I've actually picked up a couple of things that I wanted just to touch on. For one, yeah. you mentioned your mother mentioned, you know, the words of affirmation to you, or you realized that was perhaps your love language. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like she forecasted out some of the stuff that was going to happen when you were at LSU. And uh, some of these struggles may rear their head if you don't have that, that safety of, of her. And then also, the 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 wreck it was like god was telling you like hey you've been in control you've felt like you were in control but in reality i'm in control mm-hmm. trust me listen yeah. to my word and it's like you had that that moment that like you said should have been catastrophic but it was eye opening for you and then what you were able to to do after that i mean the the outlook on no and the outlook on you know every single thing that was from your past, we look at those more times than not most of us. And and it's almost like a, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. That was shameful. That was, Oh, I can't, that was, you have it just talking to random people. They'll be like, I I don't even want to go back to that moment. Mm -hmm. My father passed away right in front of me when I was 11. My sister was murdered. Uh, I've had so many things wrong in my life, but I finally got to that point, kind of what you're saying, where you're like, it's, it's part of who you are. You can, I can help someone who's uh, lost a family member. I can help someone who struggled with suicidal tendencies and uh, yeah. they're blessings that we have those and we're able to, to help others in need. And that's awesome to hear. I mean, cause you're, you're doing incredible stuff to include New York times, bestselling author. Uh, you have, I mean, you've got several books out there uh, and, and even the books, I mean, like, uh, sex, Jesus in the conversation, the church forgot my, my wife is studying, um, uh, to be a psychiatrist and she's basically, uh, we've had this topic several times and I'm curious your, your take on it, especially being a mother as well. When do you think is the right time to talk to children about that topic of sex? Cause it's very taboo. Like we don't, we don't speak on this right? and yeah, <laughs> but yet you, you have, you know, it's this huge dilemma. Do you talk about it in, in school? Do you talk about it in church? Yeah. But kids who are six, seven years old being molested by people, being touched, and they don't know how to identify it. Are we not right. teaching it early enough? What, what is your take on that? Yes, I love this question so much. I'm very passionate on this front because if you look at our culture, there's this tabooed, Oh, I sit down and have the talk when my son's 17. Well, the average age of exposure to pornography right now is nine years old. That's yeah, you're way behind of that. <laughs> you have missed the boat. Yeah. You are so, so very behind. Um, and I remember when we had my first daughter, we have four children. They are seven, five, three, and one. Um, and when I had my first daughter, when she was just about two, maybe two and a half, I, I always tell this story because it's important. Um, poor my husband, but you'll understand. <laughs> so one day when she's like two and a half, she toddled into our bathroom at the time. Um, and we had this big glass shower and my husband was taking a shower and I'm like, you know, getting ready. And she toddled in there. And for whatever reason, in that moment on that day, she just took this vested interest in my poor husband who's trying to shower. And she's just innocent as can be just 
look it. He's like trying to shield himself, turning around. And I remember the Holy Spirit just stopped me. And he was like, before you say a word, because I turned around and saw what was happening. He said, you have two options here. You can either freak out. No, no, no. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Turn around. Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly bring this intensity. But what that's going to do is it is going to log in her mind. That's bad. That's wrong. That is something. There's a shame. I shouldn't, you know, ah, it just intensifies everything. Mm -hmm. Or you can take this moment to begin to lay the foundations. And I was like, lay what foundations? My child's too. I don't want to lay any foundations yeah. yet. It's too early. He was like, just trust me. So I just whew, caught my breath. I remember turning around to her and um, just gently redirecting her attention. Oh, come here, come here. You know, not freaking out. And I remember I was like, please give me the words. Where, where did the foundation start? And I was like, wow, baby isn't that so interesting? Mommy and daddy are so different. God is so creative. He designed boys this way, but you look more like mommy. You're a girl. I mean, elementary, simple, took 30 seconds. And she was like, girl, and toddled off somewhere, you know? And I just remember sitting back and thinking, okay, just like in any other thing in life, Just like I would lay the foundations of the gospel and build on them as my child grew in understanding and maturity, just like I would lay the foundations of hygiene at random, Hey, we're going to brush our teeth, like, and then build as they grow. Any way you train a child up in the way they should go, anyone would understand. Think if you have your, your son, somebody listening and you love baseball and you want to teach them baseball, where are you going to start when they're a little kid tossing a ball back and forth with them. And then you're going to build as they mature. Right. Mm -hmm. So we understand this principle of laying good foundations and building upon them at age appropriate times, or as the situation deems necessary in all areas of life in all manner of parenthood. And yet for some reason, when it comes to the conversations of sex and sexuality and our bodies and God's design, we're like, Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to put the thoughts in their head. Guess what? The over-sexualized commercial, Budweiser commercial that just came on TV, put some thoughts in their head, whether you like it or not. Like, I think sometimes we have associated such a taboo shame element, but sex is God's invention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he created man. He created woman. He designed it for the goodness and glory in his context in covenant. It's powerful. It bears fruit. It bears life. It's a good gift, but the enemy's goal and what our carnal nature does with any good thing that is holy is we make it carnal, right? We rob it of its fullness. We rob it of its glory. We make it taboo. We make it commercial. We, we devalue things that are precious. And so I just remember thinking, okay, obviously like anything else I would approach with my children, this is a good thing from God and it's detailed. There's layers. It's nuanced to understand. But right now she was two years old. I can start to lay the foundations. And we just started at creation. Wow. Yeah. 
wait, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're so different. That's amazing that we're different. That's a good thing. I bet we're God, better. You handle that so much better than me. Right? I'm, like, I'm even thinking, I'm like, wow, you did that really good. Yeah. I mean, and it was literally only by the grace of God. Cause part yeah. of me wanted, I had a past with, with sexual deviance, with porn, with all this stuff. So that was only because I let the Lord heal me first mm-hmm. that I could be calm in that situation and say, I don't want you to go through everything I went through because of my ignorance. So we are going to learn together. And, and as they've matured, here's, what's amazing. Children can actually handle and understand much more than we give them credit for. 100%. And I think many times when we withhold being teachers to them, when we withhold counseling them and things that are harder, we actually are operating in ignorance and allowing the world to counsel them at whatever pace it wants or allowing their peers to counsel them. When so I was I was nine years old when my neighbor took me down to our little fort by the creek and told me everything she knew about sex, brought me back to her house, showed me pornography on the scratchy channels on the TV. I was nine. Oh, yeah. The old like channel zeros or whatever. You had to squint and turn your head. I saw something. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that was a leg. It's like all of that. We'd be in ignorance if we think there aren't a thousand forces trying to form our children. We would be wise if we would say, I was entrusted with these children and I will take seriously my responsibility to lay a foundation and to build upon it. And with every season, with every new age, with every question, I'll be available and safe to answer and to guide. I'll tell them if I don't know the answer and then I'll go find the answer. I'll press in in prayer or study or research and I'll be able to share. And I think The beauty of that is that you begin to cultivate conversation and safety with your children so that when the day comes that whatever is being taught in their health class, Mm -hmm. whatever their friend says they think or believe or what that whatever pressure comes upon them. So many children are sexually abused because they don't even have the right language. They don't know what's happening. Even in moments where there could be serious hurt or affliction on their life, they have knowledge, they have understanding, and they can come and talk to you just like my mom created that safe space for me by always fostering healthy communication. So when I was ready to say, I'm dealing with an eating disorder, all of this, it was familiar. Yeah. If our children don't know a familiar space of safe conversation with us, especially around sexual things that our culture is gripped by, it's everywhere right now. We drove past a billboard the other day of a man with a full beard and a pregnant belly. And it was talking about something about reproductive rights. To a child, my children were like, what? It To the simplicity of understanding. Yeah. They couldn't even wrap their heads or fathom. There was no saying, oh, just ignore it. We have we, to have a We have the adult video store billboard exiting oh. off of, of our exit up here. So yeah. I mentioned it last night. I was like, that is so misplaced with everything else here. And it's and, it, and whether we know it or not, our children are taking these things in all day mm-hmm. long. Hey, if you start to pay attention, you'll start to be like, Oh my goodness. Sometimes I'm like, we need to go live off grid in a bubble because (laughs) this is wild, but we're not meant to hide. 
We're meant to bring light into the world. We're meant to bring power and the love of God and the truth into the dark places, right? And so that comes with having to equip uh, ourselves, having to find healing ourselves, having to equip our children. And I'm amazed. My kids, like I said, are seven, five, three, and one. One One-year-old can't talk. He doesn't count. But I'm amazed, especially through my seven-year-old and my five-year-old, the degree of what they can articulate they understand what they ask questions about what they feel safe to I just sometimes sit and my heart bursts and I try to play it cool on the outside like yeah we can talk about that yeah (laughs) but it's like thank you thank you that all this hard work laying a foundation is like bearing good fruit um so I just encourage parents in that and you know what his mercy is sufficient it's new every morning so it doesn't matter if your child's 15 and you're like I dropped the ball I never talked to that. I never did any of this. What now? Begin now. Yeah. Begin today. And that doesn't mean you sit them down and go haywire and start to talk about things that are going to make them just faint. But we can all begin somewhere and begin in a place of cultivating that healthy conversation and teaching. And you know what? A lot of times, especially if our children are older, it begins with the parents saying, hey, I want to apologize to you about something. I kind of dropped the ball here. I have shame from my own past or stuff that I dealt with, or I grew up and no one talked to me about this stuff. So I've never known how to talk to you, but I kind of want to see how we can do better. You know, it's like sometimes from that vulnerability, yeah, vulnerability, humility. Yeah. I, I'm not like a, I'm a serious disciplinarian. Don't get me wrong. But the number of times I apologize to my children for my mm-hmm. own stuff is significant. Yeah. Because who would I be to not apologize if I've hurt someone just because they're young, right? Yeah. So I just think humility, vulnerability, very key in that process too. But we have to lay the foundations and build on it. Well, last question before I ask you about all the amazing things that you're doing with uh, Bold Life, which... You, you know, I, I noticed the word bold is yeah. a lot. Of, so I, I really want to hear about that. But question for you, and, and I'm curious from your standpoint, you living on wheels with the family, yeah. all of y'all crammed in there, hiding chocolate covered raisins. <laughs> How in the world, because it seems like you're very strong in your spiritual pillar. How do you keep that healthy balance in that environment? with your spiritual, emotional, social, and physical domains as well? That is a great question. It is not without a fight um, internally and without prioritization Mm -hmm. and boundaries externally. We do not do it perfectly. In fact, there are many times that we will realize how much more we need to be prioritizing and creating the space to get in the word, to have undistracted time of prayer, like to be intentional because we've moved through a season where everything else has crowded it, or it hasn't been possible, or there's been sickness or the kids have sit and we feel it. We feel it. I think sometimes as I've talked to people, a lot of people will look at me or will look at other people who may um, be leading in various ways in the spiritual space and think you must have like perfect prayer life. They must just be in the word like five hours every day. They must just, 
not true. Life is life and life is real. And it takes that constant learning of, I need to be more disciplined in this capacity. We have to create this margin. This is priority over this, this, or this. That's earlier in the podcast. I talked about our family with boundaries and just having to be really clear on our boundaries that rolls over into the boundaries of our time and our energy and our yeses and our nos to what we can do and when we can do it so that the most important things are fed and there's space created for them. Um, but I say at the same time, a beautiful thing, at least in my life of walking in faith, walking in relationship with my husband, with my children, just like with my husband and my children, it's an all day fluid thing that we're engaging with one another. The same in my walk is with my prayer life and pursuing him. And sometimes if it's been a day, I have not been able to get in the word. I haven't been able to sit under discipleship and learn. It's just too much going on. Yeah. You better believe when I'm washing the dishes, I'm in conversation with him. I know I haven't been able to get in the word Lord, but you're faithful to speak minister to me on whatever you see fit. I'm really struggling with that. I want, why do I feel this around my motherhood here or there? Like just that constant conversation in my mind. Um, it, we talked about it earlier. Sometimes there'll be a prayer and then an answer to prayer in the moment. I can't tell you the number of times I get an answer to a prayer or a revelation in the shower where I have nowhere to write it down. I'm like, yeah. what do I do with myself? Yeah. Or dishes or folding laundry or these mundane or necessary moments in our day. Many people, it's like, I would love to sit down and spend three hours in the Bible, but I have to get to work by 6 a.m. and I'm not off work until 7 30, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. may be. Um, I come home to four kids just like other people come home to to various things. But um I, if you, if you read in the scriptures, there's a, a woman named Hagar and she identifies God by a name that is true to his character. At one point, she calls him Elroy, the God who sees because she's been cast out to the wilderness. She's overwhelmed. She feels the rejection. She's isolated. And yet God sends an angel of the Lord to her to minister to her in that place. And she says, oh, surely you are Elroy the one who sees. And I think it's really important that we remember our disciplines are important. Our spiritual disciplines are important, just like our physical disciplines, our schedule disciplines, our, our time allocation, our intentionality with the days we have in our life. So important. And our spiritual disciplines are important as well. But the beauty too, of being in relationship with the Lord, if we are earnestly in relationship with the Lord, is that there is an always factor. I see you. I'm with you. Speak to me. I'll answer. Ask. I'll tell you. And there is a peace and a joy that comes with that when life or circumstances is overwhelming, that breaks from a spirit of religion that would bring this condemnation. You missed your Bible study this morning. You're condemned yeah no food yeah yeah it's like man i feel that because i want to be in the word Mm -hmm. that's not a feeling of condemnation that's just a longing and a missing of being fed by the one that i love but i also know in peace you're here with me now and you see that i'm cleaning up puke from another kid and 
you see that I'm wiping a butt because my son yells from the bathroom, I'm done. Yeah. He needs help. And so I just think there's this beauty in this relationship and this peace that comes that that love causes us to desire to implement those things, but there's grace there that he's with us in that every day, always. And you need that when you live in a 43 foot RV with six people and you move and it wakes everybody up. It's like, I want to get up at 5am and just have my coffee and read the word. And it's like, my child wakes up at 503. They're like, you woke me up, mom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. This dynamic, I think it is for everybody. (laughs) Well, tell us about bold life and your books. I mean, basically everything you're doing and where can they find it at? Yes. Okay. So, um, Bold Life, our, our ministry was birthed out of college. I thought I'd be in broadcast journalism, um, stood in ESPN studios with the camera in my face, counting down to 10. And the Lord said, you know, this isn't where you're supposed to be, right? Yeah. I couldn't deny it. I was like, yes, I know. I know. I'll follow you. Where do you want me to go? And and so um, that was really when itinerant ministry began. People, uh, like I mentioned earlier, were just organically reaching out. For me to come in, testify, teach. So uh, Bold Life was birthed in that space as the ministry, um, an itinerant teaching uh, ministry. But really, I love that that was the name that the Lord gave me all the way back then, because it, it remains the cry of my heart. And it remains the commissioning to anyone that we can and are intended to live bold lives, holy and bold lives, to not shrink back, to not live gripped by fear, to not allow our circumstances to define our identity or our future, to not allow the shadows that things have been hidden in or that we are hiding in to be our dwelling place. We're intended to live bold lives of faith, bold lives of healing, of restoration, um, and that the in our weakness, he's strong. He uses all for his glory. And so the bolder we are in walking in that, the more that it can be used for the benefit and the blessing of others. And that boldness is just kind of a constant theme. I'm very blunt. I'm very bold. When I speak or teach, I make old church ladies very nervous because I'm I didn't meet a Jesus that anything was taboo to. I met a Jesus that was able to reach to the deepest, ugliest roots in my heart and handle them. Nothing scared him away. Nothing was too much. And that's the grace that I want others to know because many of us play it so safe because we think the, some of the yeah. shadows are too dark, right? And it's like, if we would just be bold, to allow what's there to be brought to light. We would see the power that comes upon us and the freedom that we can feel. And we would move forward without fear. And uh, so the iteration right now that that's taking, uh, Bold Life, we've been ministering for probably 11 years now, traveling around the world, around the country, speaking and teaching and um, small and large audience of two people, audience of 20,000 people. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Sometimes those two though are more powerful than that than twenty thousand. Intimate settings are my mm-hmm. favorite. oh my favorite. That's discipleship. That's where I like yeah. Um, but it's just been where the Lord has sent 
when we know it's where he wants us to go, we've gone boldly and brought messages, messages of truth. My first book, Wreck My Life, really testified to a lot of the testimony I shared with you guys here. But then the second book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations of Church Forgot, when I tell you that was a bold move to write that, no one was really talking about oh, that sex. Title. That I love I the title. Yeah. With. Didn't even need a subtitle. Enough people were like, uh, you can't say sex and Jesus in the same sentence. I'm like, yeah. you, you can, <laughs> and we sure will. And so that um, that just, the way that met a felt need um, and continues to is just so encouraging. And then my third book, Fully Known, an invitation to true intimacy with God that was birthed out of, Hey, if we actually want to walk in lives of boldness and lives of faith, we have to know intimacy with the Lord. It's in that safe hidden space that we hear from him, that we know our assignment, that we are made well, that we are delivered, that we are healed, that we are transformed. And it's from intimacy that the works birth out, not from our own strength, rewind to young Mo not from our own pride, for our own namesake, that we live at the praise of man, die at the criticism, like not for our own identity, but when we know who we are in him, when we know who he is, then the works that are born out of that become the works of boldness, of vulnerability, of transparency, of power that actually pierce the heart of people. Um, And so our current iteration of all of that was that we knew intimacy with the Lord. He told us it was time to sell everything, to sell our home, to sell all of our stuff and to mobilize, um, and to know what it truly means to be a a sojourner in this world. Um, that it's, we're in this world, but we're not of it. It's not our forever home. And so what does it look like to lay down our lives, to reach the nooks and crannies and everyone in the middle? Um, I say that because I used to be able to catch a flight, fly across the country, be back in a day. Now we drive across the country. It takes two weeks, but the moments that happen in the middle that no oh, one sees, yeah. that we don't share, but they're holy. They're wild. We've seen miracles. We've seen people get healed. We've seen brain tumors shrink. We've seen, I mean, miracle after miracle. We've seen barren women bear life for miscarriages straight, carry and bear a child. We get a photo several months later. Later. Here's the baby that we all prayed How for. How cool is that? It's been amazing. But that stuff happens not because there's any power in us of our own. It's because the Lord's like, you know me in the intimate place. I told you what I want you to do because I'm going to put my glory on display. Are you going to be the vessel for that? And that takes boldness. That takes yeah. boldness to say, it's really not about my life. It's really not about my comfort. It's really not about my job promotion. It's really not about my income. It's really about something much bigger than me. And I think sometimes the death to self in order to allow our lives to be used, good, bad, ugly, messy, to speak a better word is one of the boldest moves any of us can make. Yeah. That's where we're at now. Y'all pray for us. We got six people and 350 square feet, (laughs) more butt wiping and diaper changes. (laughs) We're going to put all of your links in the episode description. Awesome. Or for them to get books to find out more about bold life. My final question for you is when your grandchildren mention your name and great grandchildren, you know, let's say, let's say a hundred years from now, mm-hmm. when people talk about you, what are they going to say? Oh, you make me cry on camera. Um, 
I pray that when my children and my grandchildren and the generations that come from me look back, they would recognize or reflect that things took a turn and changed in our family line with my generation. Now, I love my parents. I love my grandparents. Um, I'm sure there's greatness proceeding. But I hope that the generations that look see a mark on my life, my husband's life this time, that things took a turn from victim to victory, that there was a special power on our lives that reached the least and the lost, that did things outside of our own strength or power or bank accountability that needed God to happen. And he came through. I hope they see the faithfulness of God. I guess I would say in the ways that things healed and shifted and changed in our generation, but also in the ways that he worked through me for his glory and for the freedom of others out of this time. I hope they look back fondly. I don't want them to look back uh, full transparency some of my greatest weaknesses in the past are just anger still, irritability. Um, I don't want my children to carry what I carried and be angry or irritable. I don't want my grandchildren to walk in that. I don't want the reflection to be mom was always mad or mom was always tired or mom was like always a loose cannon if we were acting out. I want them to reflect on the faithfulness of God. And when we were kind of young, Mom would pop off about some stuff, but she spent so much time in prayer. She spent so much time just trusting the Lord. She changed. Things changed. I hope all of our children, no matter how old they are, reflect on my parent was once this, then something shifted and they changed. And so I'm kind of like this, but I believe something can shift in me too. And I can walk in greater boldness or health or um, freedom or whatever it may be. So I guess I would say that I hope they look back and see the faithfulness of God on the inside work and things that shift, but also how that reflected itself outwardly and the way it impacted the world around us. That's a really good answer. That's a really good answer to that. I suppose I just, I'm a kind person. That was, that was really good. And final comments for our listeners out there. I'm a kind person. No, my kids would call my bluff immediately. (laughs) That's not what they'll say about you, mom. It's not. (laughs) Sorry. What were you saying for our listeners? Oh, I was like final comments for our listeners. Oh yes. Just be of good heart. Be of peace. I just, I just speak and pray over anybody who is listening. um, That if any of these words resonated or touched you or um, resonated is the best word I can think of um, in your heart or in your mind or in your life or in your story, be of good hope and cheer. There is nothing that can't turn around in a moment. There is no shadow that has authority to hold you captive in. There's no part of your story that gets to speak a better word than hope and peace and life and joy. And sometimes we just have to embrace that by resisting existing fear. Some, some needs to just pray the Lord would give them strength over their fear today so that they could really believe the hope set before them. They could really believe my days ahead 
aren't going to be defined by my days behind. They're going to use those days in, in power for greater measure. Um, and I just, I know sometimes when we hear heavier testimonies or harder things or challenges, or we, something does resonate, but it actually triggers us. It's really easy to just shut down mm -hmm. and to feel overwhelmed and to say, well, that's great for her, but she doesn't know my circumstance. She doesn't know the marriage I'm in. She doesn't know what I just walked through in my job. She doesn't know how my kids turned out. They're 27 and there's nothing I can do about it. No, 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 no. Be of good cheer and of faith and of hope that if we will, if we will continue to humble ourselves, heal, grow, learn, there's nothing that's impossible for the days ahead or for the people ahead or for the circumstances ahead. And so just end this podcast with a smile because if the Lord could do it for me, he could do it for anybody. He still continues to do it through me in my moments of failure and weakness. He can keep doing it through anybody is who he is. And while there's still breath in our lungs, there's still really good reason to be full of joy and full of hope. So I hope that people remember that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely smiling because this was a great conversation. This was amazing. I want to thank you so much. By the way, her husband's incredible. He's awesome. He's probably the <laughs> easiest person, uh, most most likable person I've dealt with, with getting a, a guest on the show. Um, but real quick, do you watch Stranger Things or no? No, man, we started and it got too demonic. We said we could not do this. <laughs> he told me he's he's like, don't don't bring up Stranger Things on the episode. <laughs> don't ask me about Stranger Things. If you do you, you do you. I, I said I cannot. I saw a demogorgon. I said we're not doing this. <laughs> yep. So so, uh, yeah, I told him I would, I would bring that up. But uh, but no, I want to thank you so much for taking time to do this. Uh, folks, this is a stacked month of guests that we got here in January. Continue. Uh, spread the word, leave us some reviews, let us know what you're thinking of the show. We're going to come back next week with another great episode of the Shadows Podcast. <laughs>